Welcome back to University of Minnesota Extension's Nutrient Management Podcast. I'm your host, Paul McDivitt, Communications Specialist here at U of M Extension. Today on the podcast, we're talking about alfalfa nutrient management. We have three members of Extension's nutrient management team. Can you each give us a quick introduction? This is Daniel Kaiser. I'm a state nutrient management specialist. I deal with majority of commodity crops across the state, writing nutrient management guidelines. One of these is alfalfa. Yeah, hi, I'm Craig Schaefer from the Department of Agronomy and Plant Genetics, and I've worked on alfalfa for 40 years uh, and look at its management and specifically in its response to nutrients. And I hope everybody's got their first cut of alfalfa off by now. And my name is Jared Goplin. I'm an extension educator in crops based out of Western Minnesota, uh, out of the Morris Regional Extension Office. And I primarily work with forage and small grain crops, uh, but a little bit with corn and soybean as well. Great. So uh, starting off, why is managing soil inputs important for alfalfa producers? Well, I'd like to address that question. Um, Very important because all plants have a number of uh, essential macro and micronutrients that are required for their growth. Uh, For alfalfa, we often think of potassium, phosphorus, and sulfur as three big nutrients that we need. Nitrogen isn't required because plants can fix nitrogen on their own. Potassium is very important because it's a regulator or it affects uh, biological uh, nitrogen fixation and photosynthesis. It interacts with many enzyme systems. And uh, sulfur, very important because it's it's essential for a number of the amino acids. So when we look at production of alfalfa, an alfalfa system, we take into consideration phosphorus, potassium, sulfur, sometimes there are other micronutrients, but we think of these in terms of having uh, a productive plant growth. And um, the question is how much of these nutrients to apply? And the University of Minnesota over a number of years has established guidelines in order to apply these nutrients to the plants. Excessive fertilization doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get better yield or better persistence. In fact, some work we just did on potassium at a number of locations in the state found out that with excessive fertilization, not only was it uh, economically inefficient, but we ended up with luxury consumption. And um, so we had very high levels of potassium accumulated in the plants. And that's one thing we see quite a bit, um, particularly as Craig said, with potassium is luxury uptake. It happens in many of our crops, particularly in the biomass. So if you've got a crop that is a biomass crop like alfalfa, uh, we know that uh, like with corn in particular, if you have corn silage or you have corn grain, that there's not as much potassium in the grain aspect to it. So the plant tends to not regulate itself. So if it's there, it'll take it up. So it's one of those things that um, we know if you're if you're trying to deal with lower K that you have to be somewhat careful, uh, particularly with high application rates. But it's interesting because I've seen situations where I think that we should be able to cap uptake on some of my plots and it's a linear increase. So it just continues to increase with the increasing rates we apply. So that's one of the major things I think to watch out for that. Uh, sulfur has been, you know, one of the ones that I guess I've been interested in more recently. Um, we've been doing a lot of work uh, since I started back in 2008 in Minnesota on corn. 
Alfalfa has been one though. It's 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 kind of a nice crop for me in some of the areas as a, a, a just a way to test to see how the soils are for available sulfur because it's one that that's going to be a higher demand than corn. It's just not always as when we start looking at a lot of our sites, we can't always see deficiencies in it, even though when we think we do. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that if you look at where a lot of our, our uh, alfalfa is grown, one of the things we've seen, particularly on some of our silt loam soils in the southeastern part of the state, is they tend to have a high mineralization potential. So those soils, I, I think that kind of explains some of the reason we're, we're seeing it. I know Wisconsin's been doing a lot of work, particularly Kerry Lebowski over there looking at both uh, potassium and sulfur interactions. Um, where they tend to see more instances of, of response, particularly with sulfur, will be on eroded knolls or areas of the field that are, are eroded where the soil doesn't have the, the capacity to supply sulfur. So it's one thing I think growers should watch out for, really, for that, is um, just watching um, particular areas of the field just to see, particularly when we start looking at sulfur, we can see some of the similar soil, sandy soils, silt loam soils be low in both K and, and S. So it's, it's two things that can kind of go hand in hand on some of these, these locations. And one of the other kind of key characteristics there, you talk about luxury consumption, you know, there can be some animal nutrition, you know, uh, aspects of that too, if uh, with milk fever and other things that can, can occur due to toxicity type issues. So, you know, it's not only an economic thing, but it also could be a, an, a, an animal performance issue as well. Well, and we also look at it in terms of, I know Craig brought up um, some of the amino acid uh, issue with when it comes to sulfur, and we do know that it's one of the things we look at routinely with many of the studies is look at forage quality, not necessarily just tonnage, because we can see some impacts on quality of some crops at times, particularly with sulfur, uh, just because of how sulfur interacts with nitrogen. Now, if we talk about just, just crude protein or protein content of, of many crops, we know that nitrogen is really critical. So if we look at crops like soybean where um, we're trying to promote protein, that typically nitrogen supply is going to dictate that. Uh, sulfur can change the amino acid profile. It may not necessarily impact the overall protein content, but it can be something that if we look at sulfur, that we've seen it at times in some crops where inadequate sulfur has affected nitrogen nutrition. So we know these two can go hand in hand. So they are two things to watch. I know more recently, um, I don't know, Craig, I mean, phosphorus, um, we haven't really looked at phosphorus and alfalfa for, it's been quite a while. But um, if you look at the areas, a lot of these areas are particularly livestock producers that have manure. I've never really seen it where phosphorus has been that major of an issue. And I don't know if you have any comments on that. Yeah, I think our response to phosphorus over time, well, it is, it is a limiting nutrient if you don't have enough has been much less than potassium. So uh, that's why I, I, I think that, uh, and again, if, if you have manure applications, usually it's not an issue. And that's one of the things we did go through um, with corn and beans over the last year, and I did modify the potassium guidelines. Um, I haven't done anything right now with alfalfa. And I've been kind of looking at some of the information that we've had, um, you know, the, the study with AFRIC, particularly the, um, the K by variety study. That was one thing that um, just looking at the data, not much response above about the medium class. And then there was another study that was funded, I believe, by Minnesota Corn back around 2008 and 2009 that Jeff Coulter was involved with, where they were looking at um, medium alfalfa, so K levels in alfalfa stands going into, then looking at alfalfa the last year, the stand going into corn and not seeing as much of a response. 
with it. So that's one of the things that, um, you know, looking at it, we know that potassium is important, but it's, this one's been kind of a tough one to nail down with it in terms of, um, you know, we know medium or less, that's an area you're going to really want to focus on fertility. Um, you get medium or higher, that's been one of that, um, as Craig mentioned before, that we can see some over-applications occur in that where it's, it's not economically viable. Yeah, you know, for potassium, I used to talk about potassium being an antifreeze factor for getting alfalfa through the winter. But in that recent study that you mentioned, Dan, we really didn't find that excessive levels of, of potassium fertilizer really prolonged our stand life or increased winter hardiness. So, you know, I want to walk back my earlier comments about that, that I've probably given talked to farmers about for years, but there's no real benefit from that. Again, go back to your soil test uh, guidelines or recommendations about how much potassium to apply. What are some key points that growers should consider when making nutrient management decisions for alfalfa? Well, I think the main thing is, you know, as Craig just, just mentioned, is get a soil test. I mean, really have, knowing where your, your levels are are really important, uh, particularly for growers. Again, if you look at where a lot of our alfalfa is grown, I mean, you can see a lot of it on sandier or maybe more marginal soils that have a tendency to have lower soil test values. So it's one of the things to really watch out for. Uh, we know that Removal of uh, potassium, um, Craig, I believe, uh, two to three hundred pounds, um, a good stance. We can remove quite a bit on a yearly basis. So that's um, one of the things that it can put a lot of stress on uh, the potassium that's that's in the, the soil. I mean, alfalfa, soybean are two crops that, that tend to remove a lot of potassium. So, I mean, just getting at and knowing um, is really kind of, I think, a main thing in knowing where you're at to make sure that you're not sacrificing tonnage or quality on the particular field. With sulfur, there's not a lot we can do. I've been going with by um, uh, organic matter level instead of going with the sulfur soil test level because it seems like it's it's more related to the amount of sulfur that can be potentially mineralized throughout the growing season. So that's really what I've been stressing at growers is if you're at about 3% organic matter in the top 6 inches or less, those are areas that you're really going to want to watch. Uh, with alfalfa high production systems, I think I even go up to four, you know, four and a half, somewhere in there, and just apply something, maybe a little bit, 10 pounds. Um, removal of sulfur is going to be roughly between about 20 and 30 pounds based on my calculations. We recommend around 25, particularly in sandy soils, which in, in most cases should be enough. It's one of the things we're looking at right now with some of our current studies. We have some rate comparisons going on, and I'm also um, interested in sources. Because that's been a main um, focus of mine with our sulfur work, looking at elemental sulfur sources that tend to be slow releasing and slow oxidizing to make sure we're getting enough available sulfur on. So that's some of the things we're looking at right now. That's one too, you know, this nutrient management, you know, side of things when it comes to alfalfa. You, know, you look at the average alfalfa yields reported, you know, by the National Ag Statistics and, and other sources. And, the, you know, the alfalfa yields in Minnesota are a lot lower than what they should be. Um, you know, and oftentimes I think they get neglected, um, you know, people get focused on other things and they might forget to take that soil test or make sure they have adequate fertility levels. So that's one of the, the issues that I see. So, you know, taking that soil test and, and making sure we're, we're fertilizing those things accordingly is, is definitely critical for yield, but also that perennial problem of, of winter kill or winter injury. You know, Craig alluded to, you know, excessive applications of potassium, you know, isn't recommended to prevent winter, winter kill or winter injury, but making sure we have enough is going to be important. 
you know, because if we're, we're short on any of those things, you know, that, that will probably have some type of an effect there. So, you know, making sure we're, we have that adequate supply is going to be important for that, you know, that perennial crop to, to keep it in production more than just a year or two. I'd, I'd like to just reiterate or really ask Dan a question about this crop removal. Um, you know, I've had farmers call me and say that they've had from their co-op recommendations to apply potassium to the soil based on crop removal. And my response has been, what's your soil test K level? Particularly in these times for dairy farmers where milk prices are low, um, it may be a time to actually look at your soil test and draw down that level a little bit rather than applying potassium based on crop removal. And Dan, I don't know what you re think about that or how you respond, but I'd like to hear your comments. Well, in that study, Craig, um, and I can't remember off the top of my head, did we see differences early on, more earlier than later in the stand with potassium applications? Was it earlier that we saw more responses and as the stands age, then we tended to see less of a response? Yes, that's right. So we in, we actually added our uh, uploaded more potassium into the system with time too. So uh, there is no doubt the most productive stands of alfalfa that you will have will be those that are one year old or two years old. Now they will drop off after that. So putting high rates of, of um, fertilizer on third year stands is, is one of the factors that may not be economical. Well, and that's, I guess, the question, because if you look at like a removal-based strategy, I mean, based on the data I've, ha I've seen, we start getting out um, beyond maybe two, three to four-year-old stands that if you're at about a medium soil test or higher, there really hasn't been that much of an advantage. I know the, um, the study that Jeff Coulter had, that's, I think, one of the things that was clearly um, in play and where they saw a greater benefit was the corn year after the alfalfa for applying the potassium. So I think if you're looking at high production, you're early in stands, you may want to look at your rates a little bit more. And I think it's a big difference too, Craig, if you're buying potassium versus you have manure. If you have manure on there, um, obviously though you may not be managing strictly for potassium with manure, but there's probably nothing wrong with going with a more of a removal rate if you have something that you're recycling back onto your fields with a manure application to, to capture some of the value of that, that manure within the fields. It is a struggle. This is a question I get a lot, uh, just because we know that there's a lot of removal that um, I know growers are, are kind of always interested in that just because the amount of money they have to put towards potassium and potassium isn't, it's reasonable, but it's still not cheap, particularly when you look at um, some of the outputs, uh, milk and some of the other other things kind of going on in terms of where our commodity prices are that it isn't always like economical. So that's, I think, one of the main concerns. And if we also look at neighboring states, I know we were talking about before this podcast started some of the recommendations for Minnesota versus Wisconsin. I mean, it why we're different, it, it, a lot of it has to do with data right now in terms of having the data, in terms of changing the recommendations. The majority of what we've seen has been pretty consistent. If you look at how our data is shaped out versus where our recommendations are at. I'm still toying with right now is increasing our, our critical levels slightly, um, that which would change things slightly going to a 200 part per million 
max for kind of like what we've done with corn and soybean, but we probably wouldn't change the recommended application rates. Um, it's just hard finding, you know, consistent sites where we see responses, and that's been one of the things that I've been trying to figure out why that is, if that's something like we've been seeing with some of our other studies, particularly we get into our silt loam soils, we tend to see um, our soil tests and the availability of that soil test measurement being um, slightly lower versus what's actually there within the soil. So it's one of the things um, we've got, I think, a few things we could look at. It's just uh, with the alfalfa, we kind of struggle, I know, Craig, just getting funding right now just to, to work on large projects with alfalfa. So that's kind of the main thing with the, with a perennial crop is it's not a one-year simple answer it's something you've got to look at over time so that's that's kind of been one of the main things um in terms of making uh, changes to the recommendations is making sure that we have the data to do so at this point in time so does timing matter with alfalfa fertilizer application well on the the side of with a lot of the data we have um you know craig brought this up earlier uh, the big um thing and this came up a couple times talking to consultants last year is putting on you know a small rate maybe 40 50 pounds of k2o in the fall ahead of the crop to help with overwintering and i just don't really see the benefit to that so my recommendation to growers is is not to not put fertilizer on your alfalfa but it is to look at your timing as having greater flexibility um, that we know we don't need to do split applications so if you want to go on before first cut or if you'd want to put it on in the fall um I think there's there's opportunities to do so. So in terms of, of that overwintering piece, uh, particularly for potassium, it really seems like um, whether it's, I don't know, Craig, if you have any comments on varieties, I mean, we've got such greater varietal tolerance, I think, to overwintering and also to diseases where in the past um, that may have been a bigger factor with potassium just based on some of the older varieties. So I know it's one of the things that we tested in that study, but um, there really weren't any difference between the varieties themselves. Yeah, so if you have a modern uh, winter-hardy alfalfa variety, uh, I think that uh, applying potassium above recommended levels really isn't going to give you any benefit because there are many other genetic factors involved in that, uh, that response. And I don't know, that study we had, the, those are mostly modern varieties, though there weren't any historical checks in that AFRIC trial. No, we, yeah. No, that's, that's a good point. They were all, all modern varieties that were available to producers. And um, I might add that, you know, one of our factors that influences um, our recommendations about fertilizers, particularly potassium on alfalfa, is this historic data. And I actually, in writing this paper, went back and looked at that data. And um, indeed, they had varieties with low levels of winter hardiness and particularly low disease resistance. And potassium helped them in those cases. But now with the varieties that we have with resistance to five or six of the, the modern diseases, as well as tolerant to frequent cutting, um, we don't see that res differences in those entries. And there's one thing too, I, I kind of want to go back to a point too before I, did, I guess I forgot to talk about too is um, when you're dealing with alfalfa, I mean, again, Craig said P, K, sulfur, those are going to be kind of the main three we're going to be focused on. If you do have a mix alfalfa grass, um, our recommendations right now are no more than about 60 pounds of N just for the grass. One thing that you do have to be careful of, and this is something I know that does come up in manure situations, 
is over application of nitrogen um, either with weeds or with um, if you have a grass mix in there kind of favoring the grass itself so that's one of the things um, we haven't looked too much at some of the grass mix stuff um, I would look at our current recommendations that they should be valid we did some work on sulfur I know with uh, when Doug Holen was in Jared's position um, a few years back looking at sulfur we really saw no benefit from the sulfur application this was out around the Fergus Falls area Morris area and, and so it's one of the main thing though with with nitrogen is that just be careful with that one um, if you do have a alfalfa grass situation there is some positives of it but um, you can overdo it uh, particularly in um, just a straight alfalfa situation where you're trying to maintain legumes because they don't um, necessarily do well um, with competition if you over fertilize for the grass portion I guess the other point too we haven't really covered much in terms of timing you know, alfalfa is a crop that's pretty sensitive to soil pH. So, you know, thinking ahead too in terms of that rotation and, and trying to get that lime applied, you know, ahead of time so that you can actually get that pH adjusted. Um, I guess the other question too, this is kind of for Dan, uh, is in terms of timing. Obviously, for putting in a new stand, we're going to take that soil test and get that, uh, you know, basically apply fertilizer, get it incorporated because that's the only chance we're going to get. Um, have you seen anything or have any thoughts in terms of effectiveness, like per pound of fertilizer, top dressed versus incorporated pre-plant? I haven't seen anything. Um, in terms of, uh, we do know that potassium does tend to have some issues, particularly if the soils get dry. Uh, we know that um, we need some moisture to move it to the roots. It doesn't move very far. So we've seen that in some other crops. Stratification uh, does tend to be a factor to be con concerned about. Um, I haven't seen though anything in potassium in terms of that because there's still a recommendation if you need it is to top dress because you can't rip it up. Uh, certainly with lime, that's one of them, uh, Jared, I mean I think you're correct, it's one of the things that we want to probably look at ahead of time and I would at least try to maybe the, the crop ahead of it or maybe the one before that in the fall, if you're thinking about going to alfalfa, at least get a soil test and know where you're at. Lime is really, I mean, important particularly for establishment, um, I mean, to keep the thing going. And that's one of the things that we want to have on early enough, if, if at all possible. But in terms of timing of everything else, if you're dealing with the sandy soil, we know that potassium does have some mobility. So in terms of getting that down to the roots, that isn't too much of an issue. Um, silt loams, you'd have a little bit, um, it, as you increase clay content, that mobility tends to decrease um, because how potassium is attracted to the soil cation exchange capacity. So, I mean, that really is, I mean, top dressing really is the only option. Um, you know, if I was going to front, or if I was going to, you know, I had a really low situation, you're probably going to want to front load it a little bit, um, at least to get it going. Because as Craig was saying, I mean, we're looking at production-wise. I mean, that's where we really see the more sensitivity of the crop to deficiencies. So as we age in the stand, I think we have more flexibility in what um, needs to be done. But early on is, is where we really want to be looking at focusing some of those applications. And I know, Craig, if that's something that you agree with or not. Oh, wholeheartedly, yeah. So uh, I was going to ask Dan about uh, sources of uh, sulfur uh, for fertilizing alfalfa, what he would recommend for that. So we do have some studies right now looking at that. Um, uh, there's two options out there. Obviously, elemental sulfur, which um, is not plant available. It has to be oxidized to sulfate, which is the plant available form. Uh, the other sources would be something like um, gypsum, uh, ammonium sulfate, um, just that's actually in the sulfate form, which are immediately available. And those are ones, if you have yellowing 
in the field which you think is sulfur, which you could diagnose with a tissue test, I would uh, honestly go with a sulfate form as you should see a pretty immediate greening if you get some rain and you get that down to the roots. The elemental is kind of one of the big mystery, and that's one of the newer the studies we're looking at right now. I've got a corn and alfalfa trial. We just set out this year. The corn trial started last year that I'm looking at long-term to see is what we've seen um, with some of these elemental sulfur products is some oxidation late in the growing season. So I'm kind of trying to see is over time if that will tend to build and give us benefits. Um, we're actually looking at a product that's... Um, it's potash based with, it's co-granulated with um, elemental sulfur, which I think would have some benefits, particularly for alfalfa production, because it's got two nutrients of, of interest. And it's the nice thing about that particular product is it's got a high K content. Uh, with some of these other products that we've been testing, the K content's been kind of low, so you're not getting as much per ton, so it takes a lot of material. So that's the main thing on the sources. If you're looking at immediately available, you've got to have a sulfate source. Uh, with manure... Um, we generally say about 65% availability, and this is coming from some numbers I got from Wisconsin. I think those numbers probably depend if it's a pit or a liquid manure versus a dry manure. I think you're going to get more readily available um, out of a dry at, um, just because of, of somehow the changes in the anaerobic conditions can happen with sulfate, but uh, we don't know. So if you have manure, I think you're getting some. And again, I just would recommend using about 65% availability if you've got a total... S number for the first year, but if you see yellowing again, I mean, look, going out and putting on, say, 50 pounds of ammonium sulfate, that can do wonders in terms of greening the crop up. So, something I think, Craig, that we'll have some answers to, um, and you know, definitely with some of the work we're doing here in the next few years, just looking at some of the sources, because that's been a, a major bone of contention on mine is that growers will want to apply sulfur, they'll call the co op, but they don't always know exactly what source they're getting. So, that's one of the th questions I guess I'd always ask if I'm buying sulfur is, is what source is this so you could scout the fields to make sure that you're not seeing any deficiencies show up particularly early early on in the growing season when there's not a lot of oxidation or of the elemental sulfur or mineralization from the soil itself. All right that about does it for the podcast this week. We'd like to thank the Agricultural Fertilizer Research and Education Council, AFRAC, for supporting this podcast. Thanks for listening.